Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CIO Talk Network. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. As always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter and look for this show as hashtag leadership. How to be a magnetic leader is the topic for today. And we have John Baldoni, the chair of leadership development and to growth uh, firm. And it's a global leadership advisory firm. And he's author of 13 books. Wow, John. And uh, newest is Moxie, The Secret to Bold and Gutsy Leadership. So you're on a roll. Uh, I'm on a roll, but it's always an honor to share time with you, Sanjog. We've done this a few times. And so I appreciate you uh, indulging me and inviting me on the air. Definitely, and it's an honor to have you yet again. Uh, now, the topic we wanted to pick up today is because, of course, we have been covering leadership extensively on our show, and we have done quite a few, few flavors. Now, what we wanted to touch today is that aspect of uh, a leader, what makes them magnetic. And the reason we go that route is because not everyone um, looks like a hero or talks like a hero may not have that charismatic personality, but they still have been seen that those people have been seen to attract quite a few people who are willing to join uh, as a troop, share the vision, and and give their life and blood to to make that happen. So that has to be a separate quality than someone just showing oral or written or verbal what kind of skills that you can see externally. We wanted to explore that. So that said, if you were to take your own definition or use your own definition for someone being magnetic, what would that look like? Well, we use the term magnetic personality, and that's someone who has a stickiness about them that draws other people to them. They walk in a room and heads turn. That is said of uh, political figures from our past, like Jack Kennedy or, or uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, a, se- a quick word for that is charisma. Um, not everyone has charisma. Um, is it a useful trait? Sure. Um, but really, charisma is the sheen on the outer self. Um, there has to be something inside a leader that draws people to him. Because while, while we like attractive people, hence our celebrity infatuated culture, we soon tire of them if they don't deliver on something, that we don't get something from them. So if we take the celebrity thing, if they're just a celebrity and they do nothing else, we sort of tire. But if they're a celebrity who is a singer or an actor, what they give us is their performance, their music. And so we are drawn to them year after year, and in some cases decade after decade. And that there is a kind of magnetism about that. Now, when we talk about magnetism in leadership, I would, there's a note of caution uh, because magnetism is that drawing people to you, but why are you drawing them to you? Um, we have a, a, a sordid history in our world of magnetic leaders um, and uh, those who are only out for their own aims or for Ill, uh, ill-gotten aims. Uh, we could think of Saddam Hussein, something like that. Um, and we, we, uh, we have demagogic leaders who play on race and divert and, div- and division to draw people to them. So that's a downside of magnetism. I think if there's going to be a sense of magnetism, there has to be that character of authenticity, the real you. And interestingly enough, there's a real pushback now on authenticity, and, and part of it might be because of the, 
the uh, rise of uh, a character like Donald Trump, who is um, presumed is presumed to be authentic because he speaks off the cuff, and there's a certain degree of uh, roguish charm about that. But sooner than later, we want some substance from that, and we want something more. And so that's where the the authenticity is the the genuine you who is focused on doing what's right for the organization, not necessarily what's right for oneself. So that's how I would define magneti- magnetism when it comes to leadership. So, no, so this is very interesting the way you kind of looked at the negative or positive because both type of leaders would attract people and maybe they would do more harm than good in some cases. But we are looking at the positive reinforcement of such quality. And sure. you somehow connected this to performance. So yeah, um, yeah. So, so a person when he starts out or, or when a person joins the organization, the person has to really... The person cannot perform him or herself. They have to have the troops with them. And it could become then a catch-22 for someone to say, okay, if I have to become magnetic or come across as magnetic, that means I have to perform first. And in order to perform, they need the people to follow. Right. Well, I don't, um, I think it's it's all performance-based, or at least should be. And I think that some people have magnetic personalities. They walk in the door, and they're attractive, and people are uh, drawn to them. It could be their looks. It could be their style. And this is equally true for both men and women. There's something about them. And there are other folks, such as we call them the quiet leaders. Their, per- their personality is at, at first not magnetic because they're, they deflect, they're reserved, they stand in the shadows. At the same time, given the opportunity, those people can very much shine. Um, and there are many organizations which are led by what I would call a quiet leader, who is, um, uh, over time, they've learned to handle the spotlight, they've learned to be on stage. Why? It's not a personal self-aggrandizement. It's about doing what the organization needs. Uh, a great example of that is uh, Doug Conant, who is now runs Conant Leadership, but Doug was the CEO of... Um, I'm sorry, Campbell Soup, and it was in pretty dire circumstance when he took it over. And Doug's pretty, uh, very much an introvert, but he realized that as a, if he was going to lead this organization, and this was a new organization for him, he was hired from the outside um, to come in and turn around the ship. He realized that he had to be more outgoing, and so. He plunged himself into the organization and did a lot of meeting and greeting, and um, but was out there and talking and listening to people. So he got out of his skin, which is not his normal um, uh, way of doing things, but he realized that if you're going to be a leader, especially a leader in a challenging organization, people have to see you. They have to touch you. They have to feel you. They have to feel your presence. And so that's an, that's an important aspect of, um, of doing what the organization needs you to do. Now, when you, when you talk about these things, we also see that there are some people who are tremendously successful, and you see a following, but them as individuals, when you go closer to them, they may not turn out to be what you think they uh, should be in the sense like the way they come across to an individual. So they are good with the masses, but you know, pathetic with individuals. It's Do you a, think that that anomaly exists? And, oh, and yes, definitely. There's a wonderful story that uh, the great Wayne Gretzky tells. Um, his idol was Gordy Howe, who just passed away at the age of 88, a great hockey player. And he's as great of a hockey player 
as Gordy was, he, uh, Wayne says that he was an even better man. And um, Wayne met him at age nine. And sometimes when we meet our, our idols, our celebrities, they disappoint us because they're not the person that we expect them to be. But a person like Gordy Howe was very much, he lived, in a sense, he lived the vision, but it wasn't, lived the legend, and it wasn't about himself, it was about doing for others. And so he had a, an innate leadership characteristic about himself, certainly on the ice as a terrific player, but also off the stage. He lived up to the expectations that other people had for him, and that's very difficult. And I think that the secret of someone like uh, Gordy Howe was that he was selfless. Um, he put others ahead of him. That was part of his personality. That's not easy to do, um, but that was his character. And I think that's there's a kind of if you're going to be an authentic leader, there has to be an element of selflessness. Um, and not all of us can live up to that because being selfless is pretty hard to do. Um, and um, and at the same time, leadership is you know leadership is not sainthood. You know all good leaders make mistakes because they're human before they're leaders and there's a sense of frailty but it's understanding what i can what i can and cannot do at the time and doing what's best making the hard decisions for the organization and leading them forward so in all of these uh, stories that you mentioned if if we were to strip off the title of that individual would they still remain magnetic Absolutely, yeah. Um, it, uh, when we talk about it, because they have the, it, this is where magnetism comes from personality. It's something which is outward. It draws people to them. And while we like to think of it as, as outward projected, it, uh, it stems from an inner strength. Um, a classic example of that might be Mother Teresa, who, um, you know, was uh, born of very humble origin, uh, uh, migrated to India and became, worked with the poorest of the poor, founded a religious order. Um, she was a very simple uh, woman. She dressed in a, uh, you know, uh, in a habit that was, uh, you know, basically a sari with a blue stripe on it, a white sari with a blue stripe on it. She was very humble, but at the same time, because of the power of her vision and the power of the good work she did, she drew people people to her. So. Obviously, she had a magnetic personality, you know, but she was not, by any means, someone that we would call a celebrity. Um, but it was the power of her mission that drew people to her, and there was a sense of inner resolve in her that drew people to her. Um, and and that's, a, that's a kind of magnetism that comes from your authenticity. So let's go into the corporate world, and you mentioned a couple of attributes. So you said a person should have uh, that outwardly demeanor, if you will, the way they carry themselves, and then they they could even be magnetic without their title, and they need a vision or a, rather a mission which other people can see. So is this all of the above, or is it one, at least even one of those would cut it for someone to be magnetic? Well, I think it's... You're either a magnetic person or you're not. But the way, if you're if you're not, if you're on the quiet type, if you don't want to be in the limelight, but you are in a leadership position, you better be accustomed to being in the limelight because your people need to see you, and they need to see you just because they need to know who the boss is there. Um, but they need to know that the boss is advocating for them. So a way around that is to um, stoke the vision of the firm. What is it? What is our purpose? Why are we doing what we are doing? And that gets into um, and the purpose is the catalyst 
It's the why of what we do. And from the why, whatever it is, that from there becomes our vision, what we want to become, our mission, what we do, and our values, which hold us together. So a, mag- a person who is, um, say, charismatically challenged, the way to draw people to, um, together is not self. It's through the mission. And I would argue that even a magnetic leader should be doing that because if it's all about an individual, uh, a charismatic individual, you be, the mission of the organization becomes lost in its celebrity. You know, it's all, about the, it's all about the CEO or it's all about the person at the top, whereas it's not about the company and it's not about the, comp- the people who work for it. So they have to be careful about that magnetism. But the way I would leverage it is I would put the mission of the organization first, what it is we do and why we do it. And everyone in the organization needs to understand that so that they can make a contribution toward it. That's how you build a magnetic culture. Now, you mentioned that either person is magnetic or not. So are we claiming that this is a nature versus nurture issue? I think magnetism is really a nature issue. But can you develop it? I suppose so. But again, I would advocate it toward getting out of your skin and becoming meeting and mingling and doing that. So that's the way you can become more, uh, attract people to you, certainly. So in that sense, it can be. But again, um, whatever side the magnetism uh, is on, it really, in a, in a corporate environment, should be focused on the mission and it, what it is we do. Now, the, the role of a leader there um, is that the, the leader becomes the face of the organization or, let's say, the team. So if a leader has that personality that draws people to him or her, she can energize people. She can bring people together to work for common cause. She becomes, yes, the, the, the champion of the work, but there are other things that she does. She becomes the nurturer. She becomes the team coach. She becomes the team cheerleader. She also becomes the team the team's disciplinarian when things go wrong and people need you know, to be set straight, or the team advocate. I would say all of those attributes together create a kind of magnetic culture of which the leader may be the face of. So, Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And John, let's look at the difference between the wannabes and the ones who already are there. And in the, the reason we want to explore this is because there are people who would like to come across as magnetic, and it's not something that they want to do, oh, I want to get, you know, get up tomorrow morning, wake up tomorrow morning, and want to become magnetic. It's more, it's a pursuit. And that means they have to work on themselves. They have to work on their skills, the way they come across to other people and many other areas. So if, since the topic kind of almost has a promise embedded in it, which is how to become a magnetic leader, so let's look at what is possible yep. and, and what's the difference between the wannabes and the ones who are already there, and that will perhaps give us the delta. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? 
Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, so John, since we say we want to come across as, uh, or this show should be somewhere we are suggesting ways for someone to go that route, we need to understand what is it that we, how we evaluate our today, which is our current state, versus what a magnetic leader would look like, and and what's that delta that we have to work on. So what would you say is a good way to do self-assessment to see are we there yet, or, or where are we? Well, I mean, I think if, if you really want to find out where you are, I would kind of um, two ways, and through, um, uh, you could work with an executive coach, but also you could trust, you know, a trusted advisor, hey, how am I coming across, what am I, you know, what, how do people relate to me, those types of things, but I would, before I do, I'd step, why is it that I want to do what I want to do, if, if it's just about personality, and um, you're probably already doing it already you're probably already uh, a, a kind of a chummy person and you know the life of the party and very outgoing so but even if you're quiet you understand the why of what you need to do to become say magnetic is because if you want to be promoted into an organization you have to be more you have to demonstrate a kind of extroversion um, and it's and I think you understand the you have to come to the understanding of leadership that True leadership is not really about you. It's about the needs of the organization. There's a theory of leadership called the servant leadership, which is that leaders serve the organization. That's the school of leadership to which I belong. Um, and uh, at the same time, leaders, uh, you by putting the organization first, you that becomes your calling card. So you're, you're always about getting people to work together for the good of the team. That's what it's about. So how do you do that? Well, you've got to be an effective communicator, be able to express your point of view. If you're in a leadership position, you need to set expectations, and you need to provide an avenue for fulfillment. Let people know what is expected of them to do and let them know how they're doing as they proceed. Um, also, uh, uh, somebody who's going to be an outgoing leader needs to be um, be, pre- be present with the team, be there in good times and in bad. Um, you, you need to be seen and uh, as well as heard. And I know when sometimes in in larger organizations where workforces are co-located, the leader may not be physically present. But I think I'd argue that at some point he or she as a leader needs to make it a presence needs to make it a point to go where the work is that's the con- that we've learned that from japanese management philosophy called gemba where the value is where the work is visit workers where they work 
um, A, it's a good way to understand how the work is being done. It's a good way to discover if problems are being um, handled. And the other thing, it's a demonstration of respect for other people. That if you work for me, I have the sense I'm going to go visit you where you work. Rather than you come to me, I'm going to go visit you. Um, those are kinds of things. It's, I think it's this, this sense of making it known that you have other people's back. You um, value them. Um, and you, uh, there's a dignity to the work that they do, and you respect them for that. At the same time, part of this expectations is you hold people accountable. Um, if they're doing a good job, you recognize them, maybe reward them. At the same time, if they're not doing the job, then they need to be put on a track where they can do a good job. Maybe it's additional training. Maybe it's additional resources. Maybe it's a reorientation of their work ethic, um, setting clear expectations that if you work on this team, you have to be coordinate with your colleagues. You have to ask for help if you need it. You need to learn to collaborate with others. And as part of this accountability, it's not simply the team's accountable, but you have to hold yourself accountable. Uh, the surest way to undermine trust in an organization is to, for the leader to hold him or herself separate um, from the organization. So in other words, if the team fails and the boss gets a raise, well, that really sets in and everybody else takes a pay cut. That's a sure way to undermine trust. So it's this way, if you hold yourself accountable, then others will do the same. Then you can expect the same of others. Is magnetism in a leader optional? Um, I, I would, yeah, it, it is, because not everybody's going to be magnetic. But I think every leader owes it to the people that he leads to give them something to believe in. Uh, to bring them together. And so, no, not everybody can be magnetic. You, I think competence is, is most important. At the same time, there has to be a humanity to the leader um, and, uh, the, and a, a sense of, um, of vulnerability that this person, um, it, while he or she's in charge, she understands the dynamic of how, how the world works and how we all fit into it. So, yeah, I think it's op, you know it's a degree of uh, it's optional. It's an advantage, um, but I think the I would shift it to the the, the mag. It should we should have a we should all strive for a magnetic culture. What do I mean by that? Assembly is another word for engagement. Do people want to come to work and do they like what they're doing? That's a magnetic culture. So, so now if I put uh, a magnet, a very strong one, in in uh, in an area where there is only copper, then it's useless. So how does the relevance or the context in which a leader, when they works, how do they ensure that they have the iron around it for them to really be able to leverage their magnetism? Well, I think it's it's the mission of the work, and if people buy into the mission, you you create uh, people want to be there. If they don't believe, and, and how do you do that? Well, it's a sense of, do you believe in the mission? And if they don't believe in the mission, then they have to leave, and they have to do something else. At the same time, if they believe in the mission, but they don't have the tools to execute, um, and this happens all the time when people become short-staffed or under-resourced and all of those kinds of things, it's up to the leader to 
advocate for them to get them the resources to get them the more training and get them more training and all of those types of things but at the same time it then it's the leader becomes the advocate but the also the leader becomes the cheerleader let's do the best we can with what we have and that's another that's a key aspect because we can always make an excuse well i need more help i need more money i need more resources yes maybe that's true but the the reality dictates that we have to work with what we have if you are looking at someone, and in fact you alluded to this, where um, a leader has to sometimes come out of their skin, their comfort zone, that's one thing. But should they really leave their, and then you, you mentioned that authenticity is being frowned upon nowadays because that's not always possible. However, does that not undermine a leader's uh, true potential because we are not hiring a leader to do the things right, we are hiring them to do the right things. And they cannot do it truly when they are going against their element to to kind of accommodate others. Well, I mean, it depends on what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, none of us will always work in an optimum work environment. Um, I think the thing is, if you believe in the mission, if you believe in what you do, you'll make the best of it. So, for example, um, if you're... Uh, um, in the IT world, okay, you're brought in as a new CIO, okay, and you're under-resourced and understaffed. If you just throw up your hands and go, well, we're helpless and just, you know, collect a paycheck, that's fine. But if that's, I mean, you're not going to be effective. But if you go around to all the teams and say, what is it we need? What can you do with what you have? That, and, you know, let's make a start. Let's do the best we can with what we have. That's that kind of, that's what, uh, employees need. They need a boss who's going to have their back, who understands the challenges that they're uh, facing, and is saying, let's do the best we can with what we have. Let's make the best case for While that's maybe not the best place to work, but if you really believe that, hey, we can make this happen, then it's up to the boss to advocate for the individuals and for the clients of the organization. What are you expecting in terms of the type of people they, the, 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 I would say the organic makeup of an organization is what it is and you come and you inherit it. But if, if a person were to maximize their magnetism, if you will, and I kind of alluded to that, or I kind of gave you that parallel where you have iron versus copper around you being the magnet, what should be an approach so that, because if you were magnetic, while you said it's optional, but it definitely will help in, in, in moving towards the cause, so why not, you know, start changing the people or changing the people? Well, if you want, I mean, what you need to do is to draw people to you who have a similar mindset, who believe, who are competent, can do the job, and have a work methodology which is complementary to the organization. I.e., they can coordinate with one another, they can collaborate with one another. That's a good thing. So that might be the iron of your organization. Um, if uh, if you have you know people who uh, that, I think that's that's the ideal thing. So and and sometimes when you come into an old organization, you'll meet with people who've been in a sense disenfranchised because they haven't been treated well. Um, a lot of those people can be turned around if they have an effective manager and somebody who understands them and sets 
new and clear expectations about what they can do. And that begins with a very simple thing we call listen to them. Listen to their issues and, and challenges. And um, it's not a, a complaint list, but you say, if you want to stay here, what is it that's going to make you able to do your work? And then come to some kind of agreement, this is what you can and can do for us. And then set expectations will go forward that way. When you look at the work environment today, and it's actually moving towards uh, an area where nobody will see each other, the virtual uh, companies with hundreds and thousands of employees don't have a physical office, and technology is helping you. What's the fate of leadership when you don't have FaceTime to the degree where you can actually make a difference being human, talking to human in a physical presence? Well, that's a really tough thing. Um, that's that's the cold. That's the reality. I would advocate that the leader has to bring people together face to face in a periodic basis, um, and a lot of folks do that. At least they have you know meet together quarterly or regionally. Sales teams do this all the time. They're um, you know and everybody works out of their home, but once a quarter they all meet together. So that's the kind of thing I would do. I also think that the leader needs to stay in close touch with them, i.e., weekly phone calls, weekly Skype chats. Uh, emails not enough. Um, there has to be a, the, you know at least by voice contact on a regular basis, whatever that is um, tuned to do. So I think you have to make the the effort to be connected. So even if you did something quarterly, do you think someone who's out of sight, out of mind, for example, and touching quarterly, even though there are other forms of communication, would that magnetism you know fizzle away? It could be, but then it, yeah, because it's, you know, there's no personal contact. But the way you, re- if you establish a relationship where people want to come to work and work for you, even if it's in a co-located workplace, um, by touching base weather regularly with them, at least by telephone or Skype, whatever it is, you're generating those lines of communication. And I think what comes of it is, Part of what you're doing is you're not projecting your personality through this magnetism. You're allowing people to give you, let, you're listening to them. What are you doing? What are you working on? What do you need? You know, uh, if you want to develop a, a good follower, you put yourself in a position, how can I help you do your job better? How do I serve you? At the same time, you hold people accountable. So if you say, if someone, if you tell me, Sanjog, well, I'm going to do this, but I need X, you'll say, okay, I agree with you. But if you ask for X, you better fulfill what you said you were going to do because I just gave you the resources you said you needed. And after that, there's no excuse. So that's where that accountability comes in. It's a two-way street. There's something called employee reciprocity. As much as I talk about the leader being a servant of the organization, the followers have to reciprocate and give back to the organization if they agree with what, if they signed on to do what they've said they're going to do. You know, you brought up a very interesting point where they have to, you know, the workforce has to. Now, let's look at the makeup of the workforce. We'll take a quick break, but I wanted to lay the foundation here. The type of workforce you have, multi-generational. And I'm hearing, and I'm sure many of us are hearing, that the newer generation wants to be like an independent contractor, even though they are employees. And they want to work till the time they feel mostly passionate about or they feel that they have the energy versus being uh, put into that nine-to-five regimen. And if that's what they are 
looking at, then that your magnetism of leadership may be undermined because you are making, building that on the premise that these people have to or should, you know, those haves and shoulds, mm -hmm. those things are thrown out of the window because now you are essentially truly living the servant leadership is to say, guys, you work whatever time that you want to work at the best of your capabilities and let us become the resources versus the other way around, which made magnetism even come alive and even possible. So with this new age group, multiple generations and this um, an employee base which are individual in, you know, entrepreneurs and they really don't have a loyalty towards the company, they have loyalty towards the work that they do every day. When you are looking at that fundamental shift in the mindset, what type of animal would really turn out to be a magnetic leader who they would want to follow? Let's explore this. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Tune in every week for the Ellis Martin Report. Our program will bring you the news and information that you need each week. We look at publicly traded small and mid-cap companies from a variety of sectors. We'll talk to key people in the industry to bring you the foreground and background of new and up-and-comers for potential investment. Please remember, invest only at your own risk. The Ellis Martin Report is meant for informational purposes only. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, John, I, of course, laid the foundation. The core of uh, this question was that how do you come bring the people together they, who are essentially looking at, yes, the mission, but they are not as connected to that original or, or the legacy mode in which we used to operate and other generations used to operate? Right. Well, I think it's a very good question. And I think too much, too much is... Are there generational differences? Absolutely. But people are people. We have <laughs> we've not evolved in 40 years. Has the work method changed? Of course it has, but that's fine. I think what you need to do is that um, millennials may, might seem to be more independent-minded. Well, guess who was who we used to call independent-minded? Generation X and my generation, baby boomers. We're all independent-minded. We're all self-interested. We're all selfish human beings. So what you need to do is, if you're leading a team of millennials, is bring them into the tent. Ask them their ideas. When they want to challenge you, invite them to make changes. What would you do differently? When they, if, if you see them wanting to do something differently, challenge them as to why you would do it and how they would do it. So in other words, don't let them sit on the outside and say, well, this is your problem or my No, it's not my problem. It's not your problem. It's our problem. So how are we going to solve it? So and this comes as basic as we've just said before, listening to their ideas. Now, as the boss, you don't have to do whatever somebody suggests you do, but you do 
a listening to them and saying, that's a very good idea. Um, and let's see, how could we make that happen? And if it is a good idea, act on it and challenge them to do it. Not that you need to do all the changing. Ask them to do it. Bring them into, if this is how you instill ownership. Everybody wants to be considered an owner of something, but owners um, put sweat into it. They put their own equity into it. And when I'm not talking necessarily in terms of finance, but I'm terms about their own uh, blood, sweat, and tears. You're going to own the problem, and you're going to own the solution. And that's the way I would uh, tap into it. I would tap into their imagination. I would tap into their collective spirit. I would tap into their um, desire to do things new and different. I would it, it tap into their desire to make a positive difference. At the same time, getting back to employee reciprocity, I would say this is what you said, this is what you want to do, now go do it. You have the resources to do it. You have the permission to do it. That's how I would tap into that generation. So. Now, one is to have them follow. Now, I think we are just about ready to hand over the baton to that generation so that they start developing those leadership skills and, and work towards becoming that magnetic leader, if that was possible uh, as a plan. What would be your um, playbook? What would that playbook look like or your leadership coaching look like to that generation which thinks differently but for the right reasons? Well, I, it's, it's a matter of giving them responsibility. Um, it's a matter of um, listening to what they want to achieve and then say, how are you going to do it? And then counsel them along the way. But I think it comes with giving them a sense of autonomy. Okay, you have the freedom to do this. And you also have a sense of responsibility. And I'm going to hold you accountable. So all of a sudden, they're, they're owning the situation. They're owning the department. And um, they have a budget. They have to meet that. They have to bring people along. Basically, what you're doing is giving them leadership opportunities if, if through their management roles. So you need to counsel them. I mean, they need to learn how to be effective communicators. They need to learn how to, to um, lead by example. They need to set clear expectations. They need to uh, be coaches for their own people. They need to be disciplinarians. All of the things that leadership requires, you're asking them to do in the scale of the job that they have. You know, the way we built our workforce and, and overall organizations, we started typically someone as an individual contributor. Then also we develop them into an effective team player. Then we have them lead or manage teams, and then you take them to the leadership role. If, if that uh, hierarchical approach to building someone is not going to truly be as relevant to this newer age group or these different generations... How do you think the, the organizational development process changed so that these people eventually acquire the competencies and leverage what they really were born with to become the magnetic leader which everyone should have the potential for? Well, I don't think you can short-circuit it. I think you can short-circuit um, technical tasks, you know, as, as long as they're backstopped. I mean, you, you can do that. I don't think you short-circuit development. Um, the model that you just laid out is a very effective model. Now, in times of crisis, someone um, who, is a front, uh, who is an employee may be thrust into a team leadership position without any grooming. That happens all the time. That's life. You know? um, 
but I, I'm not going to give. Um, you can't have an organization of 100 autonomous uh, people who consider themselves uh, leaders. Somebody has to pull together. Otherwise, you have um, everybody doing his or her own thing without a respect for the collective, without a respect for the communal good. Um, and so development process becomes, you know, putting people, giving them more authority. It doesn't It's not title-based, but giving them the authority and the responsibility and holding them accountable for results. That's how you groom a leader. I don't think you suddenly say, well, you're a bright kid, you're going to run the company. That would be a pretty stupid thing to do. Um, so I, I do believe in a, in a grooming model. It, maybe it, it could be accelerated, but the idea of giving people greater levels of responsibility as they move through an organization, that's a tried-and-true model, and I don't think you short-circuit that. So. We did a show on how to make linchpins convert linchpins into leaders, and the whole idea there was that these people could be individual contributors, but when it comes to you know working with the team, etc., they really don't uh, see that to be a, a good way for them to spend their time, or they are kind of solo gig type of people, but then they really get the job done. Do you think you have to go through, and this is your, your advice to the rest of the listeners here, is if a person is a great contributor, can they go from there to a leadership track, and as you said, we cannot short-circuit, but is there a way for them to get to where they want to eventually, to leadership positions, and not having to deal with other people? No, um, because that's, that's, the, that's the cruel irony of moving from individual contributor to uh, management. Very often, especially in technical fields and in science fields, moving into management I believe very strongly you are giving up everything that got you there. If you're a good engineer and a skilled engineer and you love what you're doing, moving into management is maybe it's a greater source of income and it's a greater level of responsibility, but you're no longer doing the kind of engineering that got you promoted. You're supervising that. Some people cannot make that uh, uh um, leap, um, because and those who try and keep on doing what they're doing are kidding themselves. Because when you move into management, you move into a support role. It's not what you do as an engineer; it's how you're supporting your engineering team. Now, if you're a frontline manager, you're still doing some of the engineering, obviously. But the higher up you move in an organization, you're doing less and less. A CIO is not doing any programming. I mean, it shouldn't be. Um, and um, if you're comfortable not doing programming, that's great. But if you miss programming, then maybe you're not uh, equipped to be a CIO. So, no, you don't short-circuit that leadership um, development and that grooming process. Um, and, and it comes with a lot of, uh, especially for scientifically or design or engineering people, a sacrifice that you're going to give up what got you there. When you come to, and we turn around and bring it to the people who may be leaders today, and they are trying to see why their magnetism is not up to mark, and they are dealing with a diverse workforce, different generations, geo, like geo, geologically distributed, and some other handicaps that they may have, which is preventing them. So how do you, coming back to these multiple generations, multiple mindsets, and you still become the magnet, uh, the, the magnet that you want to be? 
is there is there something you have to work on yourself to have different faces for different type of people? Well, I think it's two things. One is communication, the ability to express your point of view, but it's also um, picking. It's also understanding what the organization needs. Okay, and how do I further that mission? What can if I'm interested in moving into a supervisory role? What's my best? How can I best um, contribute it? What's my best way of doing it? The work I do. How do I contribute to the whole? That's the leadership entree. So, in other words, it becomes less about you and more about less. It's less about what you do for yourself and more about what you do for the organization. So, applying your engineering skills, your design abilities, your scientific abilities to the mission of the organization. That's what you need to be developing. That's, you need to develop a greater sense of um, working with the whole, um, pulling people together, understanding other people's point of view, um, and, and learning how to build consensus, um, bringing people together, drawing the best out of people. Um, that's a really difficult uh, thing to do, but I think leaders, anybody who wants to move into a leadership position needs to learn how to get along with people, but not just get along with them, how to bring out the best in them. How do you recognize their talents? How do you um, uh, uh, get them to deliver their best? And the way you do that is through recognition, you know, compliments. And, and if you're in a position uh, of authority, putting them and giving them greater roles of responsibility. That's the key to building a, an effective team is to respect the talents of others others, but also bring them together for common cause. Why? Because we all believe in the same thing. We all want to bring this project in, and we all want to do the best work we can do. You used um, you know, the, the organizational mission as, uh, as a way for someone to piggyback on and use as a crutch to, to develop that magnetism. But then people come and people go. The organizational mission, I'm sure, does not change a whole lot, but some people introduce magnetism about themselves and get things done and and have a following but others don't so both used it is it the how which matters and if it is then what are those you know not so obvious nuances that one one practices versus the one who actually gets to that magnetism level versus others who don't i think it's 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 focusing on what needs to be done. It's a putting a self aside and focusing what does the job require that we do, um, and being seen as the person who's going to take the lead on that. So if extra effort needs to be expended, maybe working on a weekend or something, you be the one who's also there on weekends um, too. You put in the extra hours as necessary. You be there. Um, you play a supporting role as well. I think that's the way to build that a sense of camaraderie. We're all in this together. You know, you don't. While you're responsible for others. Um, you're also one of them. You don't hold yourself apart in the sense that you become the support force for the whole team together. So I think that's a way of bringing people together. It all gets back to your purpose. Is why are we doing what we're doing? And if you're living the purpose, then others will be, if they want to join in, they'll see that this is what I need to do too. And there's a sense of attract, attraction to that. There is a sense of magnetism about that. 
So now we we know that the to be magnetic in personality and or to get the following, we are using organizational mission. And then you look at the other stakeholders. So we are a CIO centric show. So if you look at technology leader, they want to become magnetic. That means they need other stakeholder support and blessing and sponsorship and and uh, some sort of. Uh, um, you know, coaching, if that's what it comes down to, so that you make sure that this person, who's the technology leader in this case, becomes magnetic, and as a result, some things get done which are aligned to the business mission. Where are we falling short in terms of those areas, those resources, and that type of help, which is undermining an otherwise a very competent person to achieve that magnetism as a leader? Well, I mean... I. I, I don't know that there was, if somebody's falling through, uh, f- uh, failing to live up to expectations, question the expectations, and what are, are we help, are we supporting, if I'm in more senior management and I'm seeing that my more junior managers are struggling, it's my responsibility to find out why and have a conversation about that. Do they need more resources? Do they need more training? Do they need more support? all of those types of things. So then it becomes a more senior manager's responsibility. At the same time, if the person's not competent, in other words, if they're not, they don't have the skills to do what they do, then how do you address them? Do they need professional development? I mean, excuse me, do they need technical development? Do they need more training? All of those things. And if they're capable of doing a job and you need them, then you provide provide for them. But if they're not capable of doing that, then you say, well, this isn't a, a good person. This isn't a good fit for us. So it's a two-way street. You have to evaluate your talent. Is this person capable of doing the job? And that happens all of the time, of course. People get promoted into leadership positions who really are not suited to management. They may be very good software engineers, and but that's their sweet spot, and that's where they should belong because they really don't want to be managers. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you once again, John, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can support and how individuals can work towards becoming a magnetic leader. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be on with you, Sanjog. Thanks for all you do for all of us and sharing leadership wisdom around the world. Thank you. And uh, listeners, hope you enjoyed. Got some nuggets of wisdom here from John. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.